Hey everybody, welcome to another bald movie. Uh, Jim and I are reaching way back in the classics for the 1969 motorcycle road drama drug film uh, Easy Rider, starring Peter, Fo Peter Fonda, Peter. Peter Fonda, Denny Hopper, and Jackie Nickel. And Jack Nicholson is written by Fonda Hopper and Terry Southern. Uh, just recently celebrated his 50th anniversary last year. Uh, of uh, being on the movies the reason yeah. well the reason i suggested this movie is because it was on the, the it was featured on the new pope like two weeks ago uh -huh. and i'm fascinated with the new pope uh and john malkovich's portrayal of the titular new pope and he's described uh, his love of dennis hopper as he's one of the most free people on the planet well formerly on the planet uh, dennis hopper's been dead almost 10 years now mm. What did you think of this 50-year-old counterculture hippie biker movie, Jim? It's right. It's you're in the target demographic for this. <laughs> Aim right at your yeah. heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know much about the 60s, if I'm being honest. It was over a decade before I was born. Uh, the All of the sort of films and culture of the era had sort of started to leak out of public consciousness or, or like reruns on television and stuff by the time I was of viewing age. Mm. So I don't know much about it, but I really like this movie. Mm. I came away thinking, yeah, I totally get why, even not knowing much about the 60s, why this would be a countercultural revolution. Oh, yeah. In, in both filmmaking and, you know, actual culture Yeah, in the country. There's a couple of these things... Um... There's a couple of these things that seem very modern, and it turns out that's because they're they're innovations, which we can talk about, like mm -hmm. the 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 pop culture soundtrack, like that's very you know feels very modern that you've got these period yeah. accurate tunes to this this setting. Um, there's a couple of things that are they're weird, like some of the editing and the yeah, the I don't like the editing scene in this film dissolves. for the most part. Um, but I was a mate. I was sitting here and I'm watching this film, and I'm like. Okay, I see why people like this. This mm -hmm. is just, if nothing else, the visuals are gorgeous of these guys riding these bikes through the desert and camping or smoking up. And it's just kind of like watching, you know, this weird kind of art house of this these guys fucking around the United States. And then Jack Nicholson shows up and mm -hmm. the movie kicks in like 12th gear. Yeah. Like that performance, it's, it's all, he's already interesting in the jail as just kind of like the Southern lawyer using the good old boys network to get these hippies off the 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 you know the hook mm -hmm. but the second he puts on that gold football helmet and 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 gets on the back of uh, captain america's oh motorcycle like this movie just enters a whole other gear and you know i haven't seen a lot of classic nicholson i gotta say uh i've seen um you know some of the modern classic stuff like what was that mob movie uh the uh, the Departed. The Departed. Yeah, I've seen okay. him in that. I've seen him in like uh, th th there's that one with Greg Kinnear. Uh, I, I, one Flew. Or no, the it, 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 it that and Hel it had Helen Hunt in it. I forget what that movie. Oh it, yeah. Um, or he 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 stole the guy's dog by keeping bacon in his pocket. Yeah, I know the movie you're talking about. But, and I've seen you know The Shining. It's that a movie was, for old people, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw it and liked it. Yeah. So. That that was the this like like the shining is the closest I saw to like classic Jack Nicholson, but like mm -hmm. this completely kind of unaffected, just you know, there's improvising a lot of dialogue. There's this uh, you know, it's kind of natural charisma. Like when Jack Nicholson smiles, it's I don't know how you smile that way. No, no one can except him. Yeah, it's like in, inviting. It's friendly. It's dangerous, uh, and he brings all those qualities to, the, and he's just fascinating to watch. And I say, oh, this is why the guy's a star. I, I, mm. yeah, w w from the moment he stepped onto the screen, I kind of loved this film. Yeah. Lots of problems. And the film with itself it. picks up from that point too. Yeah. I think. As far as like it gets an energy. Whatever plot this movie has sort of begins around that time, right? And it, as Nicholson exits the film, it starts kind of like it's like this film doesn't end so much as it just falls apart. Yeah. Um. And I I really liked it. Like I said, I was in for it just being a travel log and kind of like this. Uh, I would say it's a nostalgic look at the hippie counterculture, except for I felt like it wasn't. There was this one review I read where it's like it, it was the first movie made with the full knowledge of what was going on in the counterculture, but it had lost its innocence. Like you don't watch this film and think, oh, yeah, those hippies, they're going to change the world. It's more like, oh, these hippies are going to starve in the desert and they're going to be co-opted by a little bit. 
commercial interests and they're going to get steamrolled over by society and they're going to become the baby they're going to become the baby boomers that they are and you know lots of been lots of ink have been spilt about that generation <laughs> at this point yeah it's hard not to look at this movie and and come away with two things a the knowledge that we have now just tells you yeah the hippie movement died out and we really have basically nothing like it anymore um in our modern culture and also the question of like where does the freedom lie in our current society and i think that's like the big question i came away yeah. from this movie with yeah and it's kind of hard to pinpoint it yeah do you want to start with that kind of the big picture topics because i yeah. found that as i was watching i was thinking that like um you're right. We don't have a true counterculture. Um, although I don't know, maybe maybe you can describe some of this stuff um, uh, that we have today. But but the attitude about like how the world is stacked against you, and that like individuals pay a price, and mm -hmm. you know unless you want to be willing to to cuck out and be a wedge wage slave, that you're going to get uh, brutalized by a society. Um, that seemed like it, like a, I think a lot of uh, today's young generation feel that kind of that sense of like the American dream is dead. Yeah. And I was just shocked at kind of like, wow, how did we get to like the optimist, the relative optimism of the eighties and nineties from this movie's place? Like, was it really just star Wars came and flushed, gave America a national <laughs> enema and had us thinking differently about things. And then. We started yeah. doing coke and gotten got our 401ks looking healthy and everybody started feeling good until you know 9-11 and we've spiraled again like i i don't know but there's something very interesting in the fact that like this is a movie about the baby boomer generation and the current generation of kind of malays the millennials and the zoomers are a similar baby boom i don't know if you're aware of this but like the millennials like as far as like the number of them mm -hmm. um is a proliferation on kind of like the post-world war baby boom itself and i wonder if yeah. somehow those go together like this this big like a fifth mm -hmm. there's this big 50 year cycle in america i've been looking at it like a hundred year cycle like hey you know this kind of maps to kind of like where the roaring 20s are we're going to go into some sort of great depression uh you look at the like the racism and anti-immigrant fury that was going on at the same time and it's kind of repeating but maybe it's more of a 50 year cycle that we went through in the 60s and 70s and we're starting to repeat again yeah i know that's one of the one of the things i couldn't help but notice like all these scenes where you know just for being different they're being persecuted by yeah. well and <laughs> i don't know how people of the south felt if they saw this film because it's a very unflattering portrayal of the south sure um from you know the point of view of la so it's like man the further they get from their home the less hospitable people are sure. the more hostile they are toward them uh to the point where they couldn't even make it across the country without being murdered uh-huh uh I I see a lot of division in our current country, yeah. obviously, and I look at it and I go, man, the 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 makeup of this country is just so different, you know, uh, across across its many many regions. Mm -hmm. It's like, can something like this be? Can a can a territory this big really be governed? Yeah, in any reasonable way, or are we destined to like try and fail because of our differences? Or are we going to be able to maybe get our shit together and help a whole bunch of people live better lives? It does seem the key, because you talk about what Southerns think, and that's something I think about a lot, because I think, you know, growing up in Southern Indiana, I feel a little bit of a kid. Like, I, I kind of bristle when people talk about, you know, poor white Southerners, and like, the, like they're all one person, they're all these, like, terrible people. Right. But there's a big grain of truth in that. And, like, what mm -hmm. I was struck by is, like, the dialogue in this diner scene, which was largely improvised. Now it, I, cause I was thinking like, man, this is an awful, aw, coming awful strong when just, you just, because these people are kind of got long hair walking into your, but then there's also this element of like the high school girls being fascinated. And then mm -hmm. like, you got to wonder if the sheriff wasn't there, if they picked up them girls and they go up into the mountains and, and they part quote unquote party with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kept on thinking like, Willie Nelson started his career crooning in a suit with like a 1950s regulation haircut. And he became this pigtail swinging, dope smoking hippie. And that's largely been embraced by 
like country western culture like most big country western stars have long hair and they're mm-hmm. flashy and they talk about smoking dope and raising hell and drinking and it's like this thing where um people looking like the easy riders go through the south no problem but other minorities like like the the white culture has embraced and ex- and and, uh, and expanded this idea of what you can be as far as like a rebel you know yeah. and 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 rebel against society but you're still kind of rigidly you know, locked into like race and ideas of gender, but like a lot of things that was said in those uh, that that diner scene, I feel like is said exactly the same thing. Uh, still about black people, especially about gay people, especially mm-hmm. especially about trans people. Like there was all that shit. It's the same fucking bigotry. It just shifts targets slightly. Like now, white yeah. boys with long hair are 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 cool, but everything else. Now we meant all that other stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that's that that's. I think something that's really fascinating. And I was talking about it with Cecily is one of the reasons like the civil rights movement worked so well is that you had this kind of like disaffected white culture that was being shit on by the establishment as hard as the minorities. So like there, there was a lot more, uh, you know, like, like people like Jack Nicholson, ACLU lawyers willing to go to bat for them. And nowadays where like you can go for in the country, as a, a as a white person and kind of be cool no matter how you look now there's like they've kind of wedged off the minorities a little bit mm-hmm. there's not that kind of common cause between the disaffected youth white culture and disaffected youth uh, in latino or black culture is that anything is that a thing i don't know man i don't know but watching this movie i definitely was thinking about it yeah yeah um that's like i said it's like and there's so there's so there's such a sadness to it too. Like in Peter Fonda at the end, he talks about uh, we blew it. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, they're talking about blowing their wad that they got that they were going to retire in Florida just with a quick stop to you know Mardi Gras. But it's also pretty easy to read that as an indictment of the generation. Oh yeah, that, that's more so what I was thinking. You know, you have all these people that like tuned in. Uh, dropped out and were looking for a big change in society and what they did is they went out in the desert and they put on bad stage plays and they threw uh, seeds in the dirt and I I thought that was such a clear contrast between the ranch they stopped at where they're able to Mm -hmm. uh, repair their motorcycle and he's like hey no not every man can live off the land it's hard you should respect that but this guy clearly has got his shit together is organized is not spending all of his day smoking weed and free loving and dropping acid and putting on bad stage plays. They're shooing a goddamn horse and they're plowing the fields. You contrast that with the hippies that get a bunch of seeds, God knows what, throw them in the ground into the desert. Mm. And it's clear that like this commune that looks so beautiful and so perfect is like three months away from just completely exploding. Yeah. Uh, they're they're incapable like that like that sex drugs and rock and roll is not something you can found the civilization on yeah it's like you know tuning in and dropping out is is paramount to giving up right yeah or tantamount to giving up it's it's you're checking out of the society and the society's going to go on without you and without the force that you could have brought to affect change you're now going to live your free life you're going to die and then the people who actually stuck around in society you're going to have it worse off because you weren't there to help move things along in the direction you wanted yeah. them to go yeah you know and and i like this movie is simultaneously simultaneously romantic and tragic in my mind because mm-hmm. you have all these depictions of freedom right the open road is freedom you know they're, they're beautiful shots when they're just driving down the road not a care in the world they got their money that's all they need they get to, you know, the hippie commune, which you said, I think effectively is like three months away from just, just exploding. Um, and then they, they come across the rancher who's got, like got his own freedom. Uh, the, the hippies are a different kind of freedom. They're, they're more like mind, freedom of the mind, mm. um, expanding their mind, stuff like that. Um, and then you've got this, the, the freedom of living off the ranch, which I think is, is probably the closest thing to freedom that we might still have in yeah. modern society. Like uh, homesteading is a big thing sure. among like even a lot of, you know, people from, from parts of the country who are very much in on society. They, I, I know two people I went to high school with that are homesteading right now in Southern Indiana. I watch a bunch of YouTube videos of homesteaders, mm-hmm. like building their own house and yep. doing like 
you know, uh, having a farm, solar and panels, kind of checking out, some yeah, goats and some chickens and. Right, that feels like the closest thing to actual freedom we have. So I, I really like identify with this ranch guy, uh-huh. um, but but at the same time, it feels like a dwindling um, a number of places that you can go to find that sort of freedom. Right, and that's the tragedy of it is like this freedom, you know, is both disappearing and also leads them to a place where they're killed at the end. Yeah. Right? You mentioned like the, the the sceneries, and there's a couple stuff like they drive through Monument Valley, and there's just yeah. this improbable mix of like oranges and purple skies and salmon and pink colors, and it's so beautiful. Like, I think it's one reason that people do love America. Like, if you're mm-hmm. living some of the, and it's also like the map of people that like think you have a second head if you're talking about climate change maps so neatly into these beautiful places on the earth like if you live if you're a rancher around you know monument valley or you live in the appalachians or some of these other just like drop dead gorgeous areas the idea that like you could you could affect the environment like a person can like you know mm-hmm. make make some big change to, to, to the world must seem ridiculous because look at yeah. look at it like you can you, you know you go to the top of a mountain you look around there's no one around like how in the world could any of this be changed or affected and I, I, it's like and then you go to Detroit or Flint right and they've got a whole different perspective exactly exactly um but I I thought that the movie you know it's not the first time i've had that thought but like when they're driving past it's like just amazing scenery after yeah. amazing scenery it's like good lord this is a beautiful country and just the the natural beauty is something that is interesting in our modern filmmaking era because yeah. like with all the cgi that we have now and the ability to sort of produce our own uh kind of overwhelmingly beautiful sure. landscapes um overwhelmingly beautiful shots this is sort of a dying art like i right I'm trying to remember past Breaking Bad, like shots that I've seen of landscapes that have just blown me away. Mm. And it's getting harder and harder, I think, to impress people with that mm-hmm. natural beauty because of the, the fantastical things that they can see on film. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is one I can think of. It yeah. really showcases New Zealand in a similar way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then you also look at like fucking Mordor, right? Which, right. you know, has its own beauty. Yeah. This is a very different, fantastical kind of beauty. And Made like, in a studio. How how much longer will we really appreciate the natural beauty on film? I don't know. <sighs> Man, I don't know. Um, because I just think that I, we're in a weird... So this, I was I, I didn't know anything about motorcycle movies. Um, and I, I did a lot of reading because I thought this was fascinating. And apparently, like, the motorcycle movie is put on the map in nineteen the mid-1950s with Marlon Brando's The Wild ones okay and it became a like a genre like the the western and like i un- i understand i could be wrong because this is just me doing like 24 hours with the research but like i understand that this easy rider is kind of like the unforgiven of westerns and that it's kind of like the last artistic gasp of this uh there's been others since in the 70s but this is like the high water mark and like it probably won't you know like like get back to that but I wonder if, like, you know, these these travel logs, um, I, there's no reason why they wouldn't make money. I was struck that there's an interview with Dennis Hopper where they're talking about, like, his use of almost exclusively outdoor filming uh, and using natural light. And he said that, you know, the reason he did that is because he uh, didn't have a lot of money. And, and it turns out God's a great gaffer. Mm-hmm. Like, he really knows how to hang a light. And uh, I don't know. Like, if I was an aspiring filmmaker, um, this seemed like an a- attractive genre because... The other thing, let's talk about the making of this movie a little bit. Um, legend has it that Dennis Hopper's first cut of this movie was somewhere, people argue, between four and five hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read like in the Wikipedia article like the huge sections of this movie that just gets deleted. And someone said, I, I can't remember why I read this, but they asserted that what they did is they just kept on taking out the plot details. Like, where yeah. did these guys come from? How did they get to drugs? who cares just pull just pull everything out except for the the moments of action to propel them from one scene to another and you have this kind of like minimalist you know again it just feels like guys fucking around until the movie gets really real and then the movie goes into this like long extended like bad trip in a louisiana cemetery and then it gets super real again and the movie's over Mm -hmm. like you go from five hours of a cut to a movie that's barely 90 minutes long and like 
first of all, I'd really love to see those other two and a half hours. I've I've heard that they're just lost to, to, to history. Uh, yeah, that's it's, why I heard too. It's, it's not like you're going to find a coffee can full of this shit. But um, the other thing about it is that, like, I guess they were high constantly. Like they're they're smoking real dope. Uh, they're sn- they're snorting real coke. I don't think they actually took acid because how the hell? Yeah, I don't know how you would. Yeah, make a film on acid. Yeah, yeah. Um, although maybe they were, because I would expect like, that. Those scenes were very like felt like a uh, like a bad trip. But <laughs> um, the dialogue was largely improvised. Uh-huh. Um, like anytime you see these kind of quote unquote redneck characters, they actually just pulled people from the local towns in Louisiana they're shooting in yeah. and said, uh, like like the diner scene. The, the reason the the dialogue is really over the top and insane is because they said their motivation was they're staring at these three guys who are suspected of raping an underage girl in town. Mm-hmm. So they were just like you know teeing off on these guys. Yeah. Um, but like. Yeah, Dennis Hopper and, and uh, Peter Fonda just had this idea to write this script and and shoot this, and they they first tried with like a an improvised ad hoc film crew mm-hmm. uh, that I guess Dennis Hopper got in fights with, and then they finally got some professional crew. <laughs> yeah, and- man, uh, Dennis Hopper. We need to come back. We need to circle back to him. But like, I want to talk very briefly about Henry Jagslam. I think is his name. The or editor. Jagslam. Yeah. He gets an editing consultant credit on this film, but in my mind, he made this movie. Yeah. Uh, this is like, you know, uh, George Lucas coming in and doing a whole bunch of edits on The Godfather. Or, or like, George Lucas having his ass saved on Star Wars by, absolutely. I forget the two people that, that edited the hell out of Star Wars and landed it in A New Hope. Right, because it seemed like, from what I read, that Dennis Hopper very much liked the cut that he made. The, the four plus 220 hour. minutes or whatever the yep. hell it was. yep. Uh, and that they sent him off on a vacation yeah. in order to get him out of the room so they could do a reasonable cut of this film. Mm-hmm. And it's actually Henry Jagslum. Mm-hmm. Jaglum? That the found, the, mar- the, the found the statue of David in the block of marble that Dennis yes. Hopper made. Se- seemed like it to me. Um, yeah. So I think he gets a lot of credit. And I think there's only one regard in which I felt the movie was missing details. And it's, I guess, why... Peter Fonda's character, uh, Wyatt, is so preoccupied with his own death throughout the film. Like, the, the it, you can almost write it off as, like, well, that's a human quality. That's just, that's being a human mm-hmm. is knowing you're going to die and having to come to grips with that. But, yeah. like, there are a lot of specific things they do in this movie which make it feel to me like that's a big part of the plot. I just wish I knew more about that character. Hmm. Yeah, the... Peter Fonda has an interesting has an interesting role in here because he's kind of like he's clearly the hero of the film. Yeah, like Dennis Hopper seems like he's kind of a reactionary weirdo. Like he's always just on the verge of flying off the handle. Like mm-hmm. there's a palpable menace to Dennis Hopper. Like even when he's like super high and stoned, like it seems like he might pull a knife and take your ear off. Like at any Dude, one of these scenes, there's a scene. I I'm not sure that Dennis Hopper did not menace a black man during one of these filming scenes in mardi gras oh yeah like, there's a shot where it's real quick uh-huh. but like uh th- there's a group of black men standing around in the streets of new orleans and mm-hmm. one of them like has grabbed dennis hopper's arm and then he sort of just goes whoa 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 because mm-hmm. dennis hopper is giving him the business the fucking stare of death uh-huh. i can't like if that's acting that's a hell of a job. If if it's just Dennis Hopper being high beyond belief and yeah. drunk off his ass yeah. and turning around to somebody he doesn't know doesn't have a knife or something, right? That's that sounds more realistic to me. But God, I was scared. Oh in that no, moment. there's a lot of menace in this film. Like I kept on thinking, yeah. um, even before I knew they were high and drunk. A lot of the filming, like some of the shit they get up to on motorcycles. As a person, I'm a motorcyclist yeah. myself, and I I'm very religious about wearing my leathers, wearing my helmet. These guys are not wearing a helmet at all. They're doing all kinds of crazy shit, cross leg drive. They're getting way too close to each other, and they're Standing all and this on thing their is, bikes. This thing is moving down the road. I'm like, <laughs> you couldn't make this film today because no one would write the insurance for it, right? Well, I, I guess you could do it indie style, and like they did, but but like I just like I kept on like, my God, it's a miracle that no one died in the mm-hmm. filming of this because any that jackassery happens and the bikes go down, like one of those two guys is going to get brain damage for sure, if not if not worse. Uh, yeah, but no, there's it, a lot of that that just dang, like you know, uh, and then there's also a lot of like 
dangers that do happen to them. They get they get beset, they get beat up, they get yeah. killed in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole film works, I think, because even in parts where they're just fucking around, you know, the, the movie opens with an almost 10 minute long, essentially silent scene about them making a drug connection from Mexico to L.A. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know anything about 1969 and how that works. But like, you know, when they're down there in Mexico and they're just, you know, got cash money and they're buying Coke, that felt fucking dangerous. And there's always a chance a drug deal can go wrong. Hell yeah. Always. Language barriers, yeah. law barriers, drug going over international borders uh, and then mm-hmm. going in L.A. And are they going to get because they didn't these guys didn't seem particularly bright. I guess the backstories are supposed to be stuntmen. Oh, are they? Yeah, but they're like doing motorcycle stunts and stuff, and the, the some of the cut scenes is the establishing of them doing this motorcycle show, and the promoter stiffs some money, and they're like, "Hey, man, this is fucking bullshit." You know what? We should sling some, some, some dope. They go down, they cut out the middleman, go right down to Mexico. They cut out the scenes, right? Oh yeah, they're gone. Okay, <laughs> I was yeah, gonna yeah, say yeah. Did that, I that's part of the stuff because I, I read a description of like what are all the things that kind of got cut. Is that why he's in this Captain America suit? I yeah, it could be like a, he's like, like a little Knievel, bit of an evil Knievel, Knievel style but, stuntman. But I I don't know the evil Knievel. Like I don't know which inspired which because like yeah. evil Knievel was to me it's like a seventies and early eighties thing. So he might have come after this. Um, okay, I don't know. Um, I mean, this movie was inspiring to a lot of people. Oh, dude. A whole generation of Hollywood. It's a thing. It's a way of a movement called New Hollywood. Oh, in the late 90s. from this and a couple other films. In the late 90s and early 2000s, I was really big in kind of motorcycle culture, and I read a lot of motorcycle magazines and books, and these fucking, like at the time, 40-year-old dudes couldn't go an issue without a sick, easy rider you know, sure. like like they worship this film. They worship like the idea. Like you can tell these guys watched this in college, and they just fantasize about man with my best friend. I'm out driving a mm-hmm. sick rig, and I'm smoking dope, and I stop by, and like every woman <laughs> is all in every town is always into me, and they're down for free love. Uh, it's it's kind of like their Scarface. It's like like you yeah. know, motorcycle guys is it's, it's this is their Scarface, uh, even though things end terribly. Everything else up to that seems like, in fact, even dying young in that way is kind of inspiring sure. and probably exciting in a way. Yeah, it's got that James Dean appeal to it, right? Like yeah, that danger, dangerous side. Yeah, uh, being but, a rebel. But being influential from a filmmaking standpoint, um, there's a couple of innovations, I guess, like the idea of mounting a camera to the front of a motorcycle to get that, like, going down the road, first person shot, had not been done before. Uh, the fact that they were super broke and they couldn't afford original score. They intended to have an original score, but they couldn't. So Dennis Hopper just tacked on like his favorite tunes of these scenes and the studios loved it. And like, like using popular music to like outside of a musical context is like an innovation. And I was, I was shocked when I started hearing all these songs I'm so familiar with. I'm like, and they're so perfect for it too. That song and that song born to be wild. Like, all, all these fucking songs. I know Jimi Hendrix showed up at one point. And I'm like, this must have cost a fucking fortune. It got all done for under a million dollars. Yeah, it turns out like licensing songs was actually not super expensive back then because people didn't do it as much. Yeah, and oh, and yes. now you want you want a Jimi Hendrix song, you're gonna pay millions alone for that song. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, apparently the budget on this thing was something like four hundred thousand to film it, and they spent a million on the music, which. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I, I mean, think. it makes the film. Like, can you it imagine does. with this film with like a conventional kind of like you know twangy or hippie mm-hmm. type of soundtrack? I guess it kind of does. It you know this Sometimes. is period 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 accurate music. Oh yeah yeah. Um, but no, I love that. Like the like there's so many like the born to be wild biking montage is amazing. Um, yep. Very interesting editing. Like we praise the editing. Like I guess as much as you can praise chainsawing two and a half hours of dead weight from a movie. So I think some of the editing doesn't work though. The scene transitions. What were they thinking? They're terrible. I hate them. Like every single time you yeah. tran. Like there's a with few exceptions when you transfer from one scene to another. You got this kind of like the Kill Bill. Wah, 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 mm-hmm. Except for there's no music and they just rock back and forth between the two scenes and you're in the next one. Yeah. It feels disjointed and wrong to me and i yeah. i don't know what they were going for with that but also it's very distinctive it is very distinctive i've never seen it done since i've never seen a movie There's with these kind of scene transitions probably a reason for that <laughs> uh the other really fucking rough edit which i love the shot i love what it represents like uh-huh. the but peter fonda throwing that watch on the ground mm. is one of the most poorly edited insert shots i've ever seen 
uh it's just god awful i wonder if they actually filmed it's like months like the, this is the editor <laughs> like i don't have i need this and i don't yeah. have it i'm just gonna go out and yeah because man they just didn't have the footage they needed to cut that shot or something yeah or they botched it so many times because this is a back in an era when you're doing edits by cutting tape yeah and 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 snipping it and putting it back together again so Which like makes it mean those scene transitions must have been a bitch to put together too like they they yeah. they, they crawled through miles of broken glass to get something that's just bad i yeah uh but i i do like that moment when he throws the watch on the ground it's sort of representative of like his ties to the rigidity the structure of modern as it was in the 60s society right but he's still hip about time man he never loses you know the the you got to get the mardi gras on time it's true uh, there's a lot of other like you know as as tight as this movie is relatively speaking. Um, there's a couple shots where I still like there one time where we went full circle around their hippie lodge. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck are these people looking at? They weren't looking at anything. Nothing apparently. We spent three and a half minutes go around the group to just have this guy say this stupid prayer about you know uh, <sighs> making a place to take a stand that they're going to be running from yeah. in three months when the crops don't come and. Oh man, um, there's a lot of interesting. Like I said, like this is like a commentary on hippie culture without like the innocence because um, the whole like we're parading without a permit, man. Like, <laughs> look, I don't like uh, jackbooted thug police overreach as much as anybody, but you can't go riding your choppers through a parade, man. You can't do that. There's a there's you, a place where you can't you can. pick up high school girls in front of the the local constabulary and and think that's going to work out in your favor. No, there is a place where you can, and it's called Mardi Gras, <laughs> and I they just weren't there yet. Yeah, they tried to make Mardi Gras happen at the state line of. Yeah. the thing is also they're living that Mardi Gras life a little too early. Louisiana is famously corrupt. Like you don't want to get as an out of towner, you don't want to get pulled over in Louisiana for any fucking reason. I wouldn't. Um, Although it's hard to get pulled over in louisiana how's that you, it's it's open alcohol law open <laughs> container laws or yeah not but what if you they do, are in other parts of the country if but you yeah. do strap in because it's about right. to get it's about to get fucking real uh, uh a couple other things on the editing there's yeah. actually um a really cool shot that that final shot which i have to imagine was pretty hard on the small indie budget they had must have been a helicopter shot because they, they go directly from like a close-up on the bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, the final that's one. burning and exploding. And they bring it up and over this big river. And I was pretty impressed by that shot in what is a very low budget film. Yeah. It's either a helicopter shot or maybe like, a, but even like setting up a, a crane shot like that would be Oof. expensive on yeah. that location. Cause that's again just some back road in Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, from what I could tell. Um, yeah. I, I want and, and I don't, I don't think it was a crane shot because they show a lot more of that street. It, yeah. And there was nothing on that street. Yeah, like you wouldn't have had the tech at the time to take out mm-hmm. all of the, the fucking dollies, the crane itself, like all that shit. Yeah, um, I want to talk about Jack Nicholson some more. Okay, because I liked everything about him. I liked when he showed up in jail. I liked how he kind of slick talked his way out of and and got the guys off for you know of their parade without a permit for just a twenty five dollar fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how. He goes like he's he's he clearly he's an alcoholic and he's that's all he can handle. And these guys are passing around a reefer and, and it seems like he's bought into that reefer madness. He's like, I don't know about this, guys. And yep. they're like, ah, oh, it's not like that at all. So he tries it, it leads to stuff, harder it, stuff. And, it, and then he then he just instantly goes into slips into this like insane alien conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, which I love how Dennis Hopper plays it too. Like he vacillates between this like wild eyed, childlike wonder at the story he's being told to like then total incredulity. Like, nah, yeah. this is a crackpot idea, man. What do you think about that? It's a crackpot. Um yeah, and our antiquated systems. That quote is like this movie's precious bodily. <laughs> yeah, fluids. I was about to say the same thing when yeah. you said it like that. It's like that's very. Uh, and then Jack Nicholson's first drink of the morning, where he takes a long slug of of Jim Beam, <laughs> oh, and he goes, and I quote, "Nick, Nick, 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 flop, 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 Indians." What the fuck? It's like, 
instantly iconic like every every time i first take a, a shot of something i'm going to do that from it's here on out it's the most ridiculous reaction i've ever seen <laughs> to someone taking a drink of whiskey he made a fucking meal out of that that first drink of the day Absolutely. Uh, and then the whole like jack was like oh i don't know you got a helmet oh i got a helmet all right and this is this gold goddamn Old notre dame helmet, helmet that he's got st- looks like it's three sizes too small he's waving around meat on his motorcycle Shh. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is nominated for a supporting Oscar or a supporting actor role. Um, he, he, he's Oscar. the reason people remember this film. Like, I, I mean, I don't he's know. He's one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that this film is uh, as influential without this kind of like just, just bananas performance by him. It's pretty bananas. I, I found myself not being super impressed by the performance early on. But as the movie continued, I was more impressed. Like, I was actually really impressed by his performance in the scene in the diner uh, mm. when they're being menaced because yeah. it was a very, like, understated corner of your eye. Like, not quite sure how these other guys would play. Like, I I really thought he did a nuanced It felt very uncomfortable. I, I knew how this movie ended because of the, you know, the, the new Pope spoils the ending for you. Right. Uh, and I'm kept, um, you know, that, that filled the... I didn't know that they both died. That's the mm-hmm. one thing I wasn't sure of. Uh, but that that pre-knowledge kind of filled the movie with already had a lot of kind of, I think, foreboding and dread. And like you said, that he has a a, a death death premonition at yeah. the whorehouse. Yeah. Uh, but that that scene in the diner like was extremely stressful where the way they cut these guys just like, you know, making these comments and you could I always like Dennis Hopper, as you said, is kind of plays this as a hothead. There's a couple times yeah. where like that first hippie that's like the part member of the commune gives him a little bit of shit. I'm like, I don't know that Dennis Hopper is the type of guy you want to give shit to. Yeah. Like he might be the rare guy that like gets like worked up on weed uh, and starts <laughs> swinging at you. Uh-huh. Um, but they and, like, and then you've got Peter Fonda, uh, Wyatt sitting there and I'm not sure how he's going to react. I'm not sure if he's even going to want to leave. Like yeah. he might be a little too cool yeah. to get out of what is like, clearly gonna, becoming a bad situation. Yeah, like I'm not going to move. I'm not doing anything wrong. Fuck him. Right. Uh, and then but, I, but then they're talking about like, oh, that guy's a big one. Like, you know, they're count. They're sort of like doing the math up. here, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. if things break bad, how bad are they going to break? And yeah. who's it going to break bad for us or yeah. them? And especially like 30 seconds in this fight, you'll be fighting the entire town. Yes. Like, you know, anyone that was kind of on, like, maybe they're not saying anything out loud, but like you start swinging on yeah. the good old boys. And one and, of them's the sheriff. Like, right. It's it's yeah. going to be, it's it's going to be, you're, you're going to be done. You're going to get one of them uh, razor blade haircuts and probably a lot, lot worse. A lot deeper than you want it to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was there's some of this the, the legend around the story making. I thought there's a quote by Terry Southern. He's the the third credited co-writer, and it seems like that what happened is he wrote the film and then, uh, he, well, I'll just read the quote. So, he says, "So he's the guy. First, first off, he's the guy who wrote uh, Doctor Strangelove." I was going to say he's the one credited as a co-writer with Kubrick. Yes, um, and he's kind of got. Uh, I haven't. I'm not familiar with a lot of his other films, but. I got the impression reading his bio that he's kind of like a, a 60s um, a Tarantino like he or, or like a, a Kevin mm. Smith. He's like known for like crackling dialogue. Uh-huh. Um, and when like he was the sole credited writer until this film started winning awards at Cannes and all of a sudden like Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper wanted to get their beaks wet. And there's a, here's a quote from Terry Southern I found in an interview. It says, you know, if Dennis Hopper improvised a dozen lines and six of them survived the cut room floor he'll put in for a screenplay credit and he said this is one of the greatest burns of all times it would it would be almost impossible to exaggerate uh dennis hopper's contribution to the film but by god he manages to do it every time <laughs> like clearly yeah. this film wouldn't have happened without him but holy shit does this guy take in his 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 inch and, and ran it a mile uh yeah i don't i don't know how like the, cool of a guy Dennis Hopper is. Because I think the shot composition, uh, like the, uh, the obviously the score. I mean, that's all probably Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I I don't want to underestimate his role in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just think he probably overstates it. Yeah. Um, you know, if Terry Southern is saying it, it's and it was probably true. And if it was just if it was just up to Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda, does this movie get made? Does it ever make it out of the cut editing room? Does like the right. studio look at this and be like, 
you want us to put this four and a half movie out in the drive-ins and theaters like get the fuck out of here yeah is the editor and even if they do it do audiences get bored like yeah yeah you know there's so many questions and i i look at the history of the making of this film one of the actually the role of jack nicholson of um Shit, George yeah, was supposed George. to be played by Rip Torn, uh-huh. who was also friends with a lot of the cast and crew here. Yep. And they had a meeting over dinner, and Dennis Hopper and them sat down with Rip Torn, and, and they were trying to hash out everything, and they got into a physical altercation mm-hmm. <laughs> over dinner, mm-hmm. and Rip Torn ended up not not refusing to be in the film. Mm-hmm. And so they got Jack Nicholson, but like... I man, Dennis Hopper seems like a volatile person. Yes, I don't. I don't know that I care much for Dennis Hopper as a human being, but yeah, he made a hell of a film here. He made a hell of a film. Always have a spot, soft spot for him. Uh, for Speed, he's great. Bowser, hot quiz, <laughs> hot shot. Who played the greatest Bowser in cinematic <laughs> history? It's fucking Den Hopper. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I was surprised at how much I was actually. When I first was thinking about doing this, I'm like, man, it's a 1969 film. I know it's like kind of be going to probably throwback editing stuff. I'm not sure what Jim would think of it, but uh, I, I don't know. I we haven't talked much about like the post Nicholson shenanigans. Like they get down to this um, uh, almost as a tribute to him. Like, well, we got to make it to the whorehouse that he told us about. They get down there, Madame Tinker Toys. Yeah, they they rent uh, Lady's Passion. Somehow this turns into a 24-hour date to a one of the mausoleum-heavy cemeteries in New, New, New Orleans, and things are going so great, they decide to quarter up that acid that was given to them like half a movie ago. Yeah, my, my favorite line in the film is probably when she tells him, I don't drink, and he mm-hmm. says, you want to go do Mardi Gras? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this doesn't work. Yeah. I don't drink, but let's go to Mardi Gras. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't drink, but I'll drop acid. No problem. Yeah. What does this, I I did, and that there the movie, it's like, what are they trying to do there with this bad trip? Is this just kind of like, um, just increase the tension that the we're feeling? Or is it another kind of like, everyone thinks about acid as like, oh, this great consciousness expanding thing that's always a wholly benevolent thing. But this is the ultimate in like set and setting. Uh, maybe trip. don't dra- drop powerful acid in a creepy ass cemetery mm-hmm. with two prostitutes that you just met the night before. Yeah. Maybe in a more comfortable setting with with people that you feel comfortable with. But I don't know. Like, there's another kind of like, I felt like there's a lot of like un- unmasking the hippie bullshit in this movie. <laughs> okay, maybe so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's clearly a bad trip. I think, I think there might be a rape that happens during this. I think Billy might have raped really? her. And I, and I know that when uh, Wyatt, when Peter Fonda is sort of cradling the Madonna there and saying like, I hate you. Why'd you leave? Like talking about his mother. Mm -hmm. He was goaded into that sort of by Dennis Hopper. He didn't want to do this particular version of the scene, but he said basically like, think about your mom and, and say what you would say to her if you were to speak to her because she killed herself when she was 42. And that was uh, then Hopper or uh, Fonda was 10 years old at the time. Yeah. So like they're channeling some, some bad juju here. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is a bad trip for both the character of Wyatt and the yeah. human being of Peter Fonda. Who, uh, I'm trying to think of like, do I recommend this movie? Because like, I, if you're much younger than us, it might be kind of like a people our age going back to watch Casablanca and, and uh, Citizen Kane. Like if you can put yourself in the headspace of uh, back in the time and see how innovative it is um, and see how like, how many pop culture references spawn from that you can still have a good time but like it's it's otherwise plotting the acting is very hammy by modern standards the editing is you know ponderous i i wonder if you're much huh. like if you're a 20 something you i don't know do you get at it like you might be too far away from this generation or like the, the way the film's kind of grainy like they just don't make messy films like this like maybe even like mandy which we saw last year that Nick Cage kind of like drug slasher. Uh, it's shot in this style, but the film stock is so much better and it's so much oh, better yeah. preserved and it sounds better. 
I couldn't believe how shitty the film looked. Yeah. But like I I I think I disagree. I think people maybe especially young people might like this movie because it is so counterculture. And I think of like Casablanca and shit like that is not mm. counterculture in any way, right? Yeah. It, there's nothing subversive. And and when I look at the movies that, you know, so many people like today and I'm like, oh, you you take a movie like this and you compare it to something like a Star Wars movie, a mm. modern Star Wars movie or mm. the, the Marvel movies. And like, mm. there's just no comparison. There's nothing challenging or interesting yeah. about those films yeah. in Anyway, yeah, that's and this man, movie it's, encourages it's, it's you. organic versus manufactured. Absolutely, and I look at Casablanca and I think, oh, that's manufactured. It's well manufactured, mm-hmm. and maybe the cinematography was innovative, or yeah. or may, maybe perhaps a little bit of the acting style was a mm-hmm. little, you know, a little updated for the yeah. time. But like, this has a real vibe to it—a real countercultural, like edgy, dangerous. Like, I I feel something when I come away from this movie. Yeah. And this is like, you Which know, this is like... I think, it, I think affects generations throughout time. Yeah. And it's post-method. You don't have, like, uh, the the more stagey acting. Like, the acting is, yeah. for, especially amongst the principals, you know, these are very talented actors giving it their all. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, so what do you think the other, I guess, uh, market is like, I don't know what uh, women think of this movie. I have a sample size of one that no hated idea. it. You hated it? Oh, because, man. Because... Uh, it is just two dudes yeah. doing bro stuff and they're like <laughs> having sex with women that are mm-hmm. nothing but willing receptacles for them. They then do the same thing with pro- and I, there was a, I think Roger Ebert made the, he, he, he's quoting someone else, but he's like the, the great fascination of putting prostitutes in these types of roles is like in real life, they're easy to get and they're easy to get rid of when they're no longer needed. So like you want yeah. these guys to mac on women, uh, hook them with prostitutes, but like, there's no real character there. There's no internal like. There's no internal like personhood to those roles. It's it's just all. I'm not saying that you can't be fascinated by that because I'm fascinated by just watching women do shit. Um, I wonder what the. But the we've had equivalent. a lot longer time to watch dudes just puck putter around and do stupid shit than oh, we absolutely. have just watching women do the same thing. I, I wonder what the equivalent of this film would look like made by women. Thelma like, made for women. Like, is that, like, that's a very, uh, it has a lot of the same bones. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely has more of a story to hang on that. Like, you know, there's a clear beginning and whereas, you know, this is kind of like just coming in halfway through, th- but it's similar, you know, they, they both, uh, both the protagonists die at the end, hmm. uh, but on their own terms. I mean, like, like this movie up until a day ago, I have not seen that film. Mm. Ah, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, and then the, it feels very abrupt. Like I would have been genuinely shocked because, you know, we're around the 85 minute mark when this happens. Uh, and Dennis Hopper flips off the redneck. And they, I guess I interpret it as the redneck uh, accidentally shot him. Like they hit a bump and the gun goes off and then they kill this guy. And they're like, well, might as well finish off the others and not leave any witnesses. Maybe, maybe, maybe they did deliberately. But I, I think that would have come a, sh- a real shock to me. Especially in like '69, like you oh, know, yeah. like oh, the protagonists are just going to die futilely, unremarked, yeah. unloved by anyone. No, it's not a happy ending. <laughs> they blew it. They blew it. Yeah, they blew it. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed by this film. Anything else that we want to say? Or uh, there are some truly, truly ridiculous hats in this movie. <laughs> this might be the last thing I want to talk about, but so Phil Spector is in this movie. Phil Spector is in this. He's film. the guy who buys the drugs from them at the airport. Yeah, in uh, L.A. Yeah, yeah. And he's wearing a god awful ridiculous hat. Uh-huh. It's like I don't even know how to describe it. A canvas bucket turned upside down with an awful rim. It's mm-hmm. and then they're they're the guy on the ranch when he sits down for the meal takes off his god awful cowboy hat. It's like four feet tall, has a brim the size of Texas. Yeah, it's like a tricorn version of a ten gallon hat. Yeah. It's real bad. Yeah. Um, and then the the principal actors here are wearing bad hats. I mean, you got Dennis Hopper in a, the Bushman's hat. Sure. Uh, I thought that's kind of kind of iconic. It's, it's the most acceptable hat in this entire uh, and film. And it, it looks like with his hair and mustache and beard, like his yeah. whole, like it, that, that whole look that Dennis Hopper's got is pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I thought it mostly worked. But then you've got, like we mentioned, uh, Jack Nicholson in the football helmet. And the suit. On the motorcycle, which yeah. is just completely ridiculous. Yep. What is it with with headgear? 
in this movie? I don't know. They they had it. They, they they didn't couldn't afford to buy like good helmets. I mean, fashion in the '60s was pretty bad. That's true. To begin with. So. Although Peter Peter Fonda's jacket is pretty yeah. fucking sweet too. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like that's the thing is like I don't like choppers at all. I think they're not my aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna sit there and pretend like these bikes aren't fucking cool. Oh yeah, when that guy says uh, that's a great looking machine or whatever, as they're uh-huh. rolling the the bike into the barn to yeah. change the tire. It, it gets sort of a hero shot for yeah. a second, and it's a gorgeous bike. Yeah, like that lacing on a seat, and Just like I, I, I think that's the thing. It's like side of it. This like, is where they should have stopped with choppers, but like mm-hmm. the trend continued with eight hangers higher and higher, and forks more and more raked, and like these are still semi-functional bars that go so far up that they have to come back down before yeah. you can use them as yeah. handlebars. Like it's a ridiculous and non-functional, and yeah. whereas this, it's like still the other thing is like when you're if you're uh, I, I saw this as a motorcyclist, I was watching them and like man, those suspensions are so fucking unforgiving. Like when Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson talks about losing his kidneys getting off there, like <laughs> uh-huh. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to spend 500 miles on a back seat. Because uh, every time you see him going over to bump, like there is no like it, the hell, it might have been a hardtail, like no suspension at all, because it, it would just look brutal. My impression is that they go all the way from L.A. to Florida, maybe. I don't think they get. I don't think they make it out of Louisiana. They go from they, L.A. They say yeah, they're probably not going to make it past the line, but like maybe they didn't. I mean, the, the the road that they got shot on in real life is in Louisiana. So okay. like that okay. they they were going to go from LA to Florida re- to retire yeah. and then make a stop in Mardi Gras cuz that was Which again is not in the movie. Right. You have no idea where they're going to where they're trying to end right. up. Right. Cuz I was thinking like I'd forgot like by the time I'd gotten into this movie uh and they're talking about well we got to get to Mardi Gras. I'm like are they going to sell the coat cuz like they also talked mm-hmm. about like all our life is in this gas tank. I'm like I lost. I completely forgot about Phil Spector buying the drugs. Yeah. So and that's just being cash in the tank. Cause I'm like, do they mm-hmm. have to get to Mardi Gras at a particular time to meet a dealer? But no, this Billy wanted to do Mardi Gras. Want to see Mardi Gras? Yeah. Uh, and on the way to Florida, they got halfway there, and then they're not going to make it any further. Yeah, and I like that Mardi Gras was sort of a bastion of of camaraderie, yeah. about, like in this otherwise very hostile area of the country, at yeah. least toward them. Yeah. They, they found this island of, because, you know, Mardi Gras has always been kind of, you know, loose in terms of morality, in terms yeah. of sobriety, in terms of, you know, sexual dynamics and gender. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, that's kind of its thing. So, you know, these guys with pretty long hair and, you know, uh, outlandish garb fit right into that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can parade without a permit down there. <laughs> you sure can. <laughs> Just not in any of some random uh, Louisiana town. Uh, anything else you got to say? Nope. Great movie. Uh, if you haven't ever seen it, I think it's worth your your while checking it out. It's short. It's gore. If nothing else, uh, you can just tune out the dialogue and look at the visuals and listen to the music and have a groovy time, man. Uh, until the next movie, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya. Don't bogart that joint.